God's word from Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can be seated. We are a few sermons into our series through the book of Genesis. For the rest of this year, at least until Advent, we'll be walking through Genesis 1 through 11. We'll finish Genesis 1 through 11 at the end of November. Just in time for our Advent series, we'll, we'll do an Advent series leading up to Christmas. And then uh, jumping back into Genesis chapter 12 in January. I want to invite you to, if you haven't already, to turn to Genesis chapter 2. This morning, we will finish up Genesis 2. Now, so far in Genesis, we have seen the nature of God and the world that he created. Over the past couple weeks, we've zoomed in on the pinnacle of God's creation, which is mankind. A couple weeks ago, we saw that the original people were created in God's image, and Avery helped us see what it means to be in the image of God. And last week, we spent some time in Eden itself, and we considered what life was like for the first man in the world that God created. Now, the first man had everything he could ever need or could ever want, or or so it seemed. He had God's presence, we considered last week. He had God's presence, he had God's provision, and he had the purpose that God gave to him. And yet, despite all of this, we are still chronologically situated in day six of creation. Don't forget about Genesis 1, even though we're in Genesis 2. In Genesis 1, in day six of creation, people are created. And and here at the beginning of Genesis 2, We have this zoomed-in look on the sixth day. Well, the sixth day has not yet come to an end. So even after the beautiful creation of Eden and the intimate creation of the man and the very clear assignments the Lord gave to him, God still hasn't bestowed that final divine blessing of it is very good. That blessing has not come yet. The Lord has yet to enter into his rest. At this point... God is not finished creating, and so his creation is not yet ideal. I hope you notice, even from the reading of this passage, only when woman is created is God's creation complete and whole and very good. And all the ladies said, amen. The Lord's observation in verse 18 seems to imply that even though the man had God's presence and provision and purpose, there was something more he needed in order to be 
who God created him to be. Humanity, in order to flourish as the image of God, requires more than what we saw last week. One man in a garden with God. In order for humanity to flourish, we need relationship. And and that's the big picture of our passage today. God created us for community or for relationships. Now, in order to highlight this truth, I want to ask and answer uh, three questions in the negative. So I'm going to ask and answer three negative questions, and they all begin with with why. So I know my boys will love these questions, you know, because they ask us those questions all the time. Why? Why? I told the folks in the first service, uh, my wife Erica, she was talking to our youngest the other day, and uh, he asked a question about like a Disney movie or something, and he asked a question about the end of the movie, and after she answered the question, he said, why? And it was just a progression of whys, and literally she walked through the entire movie backwards, you know, to answer all of his why questions. So it was like, why did this happen? Well, you remember this happened. Why did this happen? I was like, that's amazing. You literally just walked through that whole movie in reverse, you know, and answering all these why questions. Well, why questions are powerful, and we have three powerful why questions this morning. Question number one, why is it not good for us to be alone? Why is it not good for us to be alone? Question number two, why didn't God create another man? Okay, and question number three, why don't our relationships completely fulfill us? So question one, why is it not good for us to be alone? Question two, why didn't God create another man? And and three, why don't our relationships completely fulfill us? Let's take them one by one. Question one, why is it not good for us to be alone? Now in verse 18, This is the first time that God observed something about his creation that was not good. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Now, this observation is not due to the fact that God has made a mistake. God is not observing a design flaw. He's not looking at something he made and he's like, Oh man, I messed up. I I shouldn't have... I shouldn't have done this. It's not good. Um, God observes that mankind is not good because the creation of mankind was not finished. He wasn't finished creating people. And so as great as Adam's experience was, it ultimately was an experience of not good. It was not good because he was alone. Now, God is the one who makes this observation, but he wants Adam to see and feel what he lacked And he wants him to see it and feel it for himself. So we have this drama that unfolds. The Lord says, it's not good that the man's alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. But first, I want the man to see just how alone he really is. And so God brings all the animals before Adam. And he gave Adam the responsibility of naming them. And, you know, that would just be devastating for me to have to deal with so many animals. Like Animals are okay, you know. But um, if I had to stand there and have all these animals just paraded in front of me, it would be a nightmare. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, the, I'm not the fun parent when we talk about pets. You know, I'm the not on the log. I'm the guy who talks about the responsibilities that, it would, that would be in place. And, and my wife's like, you know, oh, no, we need a dog. It'd be so fun. The kids would love it. We would do this and that. And I'm like, no, but poop, you know. 
Like, I'm thinking about the poop, and I'm thinking about, like, you know, the dog just, you know, tearing stuff up and all that stuff. So uh, this would be a nightmare to me if the zoo came to visit me. You know, I'm bad enough to go visit the zoo, but if the zoo came to visit me, it would not be good. But this is what happens here. Adam has all these animals paraded before him, and he realizes by the end, he realizes what God initially observed. I'm all alone. He realizes there's no one else here like me. There is no one who can help me with the task that the Lord has given me. There's no one. Adam realized that he was isolated. He was on an island. He realized that as long as he remained isolated, life would not be good. This was the original problem for mankind, isolation. This is a problem that you and I deal with all the time. We can relate to this. You know what it's like, don't you? When you isolate yourself from other people. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, and you'd rather just deal with it yourself. You don't want others to get that close. And so you isolate yourself. Or maybe, maybe you lose someone who's close to you. Maybe you lose a relationship. And you're isolated that way. We are at our worst when we are alone. Humans do not function as we were created to function when we are alone, when we don't have other people close enough to see us for who we truly are. Now, here's what we're prone to do with this passage. When we hear this phrase, it is not good that the man should be alone. And then later, down in verse 24, we read about marriage. We quickly draw conclusions that this passage is only about marriage. And so we read verse 18, it's like, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's like, so then God provides a wife. And there we go, that's the answer to the problem. The man's not alone, he has a wife. So the ideal for humanity is marriage. And marriage is a part of this, and we're, we're going to talk about marriage a little bit later. But don't read verse 18 with only marriage in view. Just read it and let it hit your heart. Look at, look at it with me one more time. It is not good that the man should be alone and hear this word from the Lord to you it is not good for you to be alone if you feel alone right now and you feel like this is something's not right you're on the money with that feeling it's not right if you are considering withdrawing from people who are close to you and keeping them at arm's length hear this warning from the lord it is not good for you to be alone and context is so important here i want you to consider this consider the verses that came before as as the garden of eden is described as this glorious place of bounty and provision from the lord where adam is living and working and given purpose and meaning and he's with god and there's no sin and there's no suffering and there's no one to impede his relationship with god that's the place that he's in lonely adam was not relationship less adam was in a relationship with god he was he was living in this wonderful place and yet it wasn't enough Something was missing. Even Eden wasn't paradise without human community. Now, what do we make of all this? 
we can't be satisfied until we live according to our created purpose. That's when you find real joy in life. You're living according to the purpose for which God created you. And I think we can understand this a little bit. If you have a gift or you have a talent and something keeps you from using your gift or using your talent, you're just not the same person. You know, you're, you're grumpy. Um, if you're someone who is a gifted singer and you love to sing and, and you know, you get sick, you get laryngitis, your throat's hurting and you can't sing, you're, you're not yourself, you know? You're, you're, not, you're not doing what God made you to do. If you're someone who's very gifted with like woodworking, you break your hand, you're, you're not the same. You're, you're just, you're grumpy. It's, it's the way it works. Um, you know, we were talking about runners. Any of you guys runners? You, you run, you exercise, stuff like that. If you, if you, you know, hurt yourself, if you injure yourself, you're not able to run, you might be a little grumpier. And I feel that every time the elevator is, is not working and I have to take the stairs, you know. It's, I was created to take elevators, you know, and not, and not stairs. But whenever we do not live according to our created purpose, we can't be satisfied. There's something missing. Things aren't right. It's not good. Until our lives align with God's design, we will wrestle with discontent, even if we have plenty of other reasons to be content. And here's what you need to see here. Part of our created purpose is to live in relationship with other humans. We were made for relationship, not just with God, but for other, well, with other people. God created Adam with desires for companionship and friendship and love. But at this very moment, before Eve is created, there are no appropriate counterparts for him to be in relationship with. We are relational beings, and we are created to live in a relationship because we are created in the image of a relational God. Not only does God desire to be in relationship with us, but God himself is tri-personal. We believe in a triune God, where there's one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, co-eternal, living in relationship with one another. And we're created in the image of this God. So creation is only very good when mankind is able to reflect the relational nature of this God. It is not good for us to be alone because we were created to be together. All right, now, a couple takeaways. A couple takeaways from that. First, we would be utter fools to build lives that require us to put relationships on the back burner. If the only way for you to be successful in your career is to abandon relationships in your life, that is not a bargain you should make. Because you were created to be in relationship with other people. That's, that's far more primary than being successful at work. We would be fools to advance in careers that force us to neglect the most important relationships that we have in our lives. Investing in other people is far more important than, than anything else that you would do at your job. We are made for relationship. But second, second, we would also be fools to think that we can grow in Christ without a community to grow in without the local church. And, you know, folks who, who are a little younger, Gen Z, uh, millennials, kind of prone to think, 
I don't really need the church, I don't really need a community to grow because I can literally find the best teaching in the world online. You can find far better sermons than anyone you would hear in this place, you know, with a five-minute search on YouTube. Would not take you, probably not even that long, to find an amazing sermon. Sermon upon sermon upon sermon. You could grow in your knowledge. But you can't really grow in Christ if it's just you and a computer and a Bible. It doesn't work that way. You know why? Because if you do theology or you study the Bible in isolation, you have no one else there to tell you when you're wrong. No one. You have no one else there to sharpen you, to encourage you, to know you truly and deeply. We're seeking to build holy and honest community here. And, and we want this to be a place where you will never be alone, where that's not an option for you to be in isolation and for you to be alone. You can't grow in Christ without community. All right, that's question one. Question two. Why didn't God create another man? Oh, we're perking up now. We're perking up. Why didn't God create another man? Now, aside from the more obvious reasons um, that would maybe be really entertaining or interesting to talk about, which we won't this morning, I want to consider it in a different angle. God solves Adam's problem of loneliness by creating a woman. That's intentional. He creates a woman. He doesn't create another man. Now, now, why not? Well, God seemed to think that a woman is a better complementary helper to the man than another man would be. The Lord said that he would make a helper fit for him, not just a helper who is like him. So God made a helper for Adam who was both like him bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. You remember seeing that in 23? But not just like him, he also created a helper who was different from him in every perfect way. This language of helper and the way that the Lord made the woman from the side or the rib of the man, it shows us that God created a woman so that humanity would be whole and complete. This is about far more than marriage. Humanity is not complete until the woman is created. The man now has someone who is like him, someone that no other creature in all the universe could compare to, and he also has someone who is very different from him, someone who complements him. Now, what does it mean for this woman, Eve, to be a helper. What does it mean for her to be a helper? Because she's called a helper over and over in this passage. And we don't need to overthink it. The Hebrew word translated helper here is almost always, in other places in the Bible, used in reference to God himself. This, this word is used to describe God. God is a helper. He's a helper of Israel, a helper of his people. He is a shield. He is a protector. He is a warrior who fights on behalf of his people. And so the word itself does not imply that the one helping is subordinate. And, and I've, I've seen that claim made, that the, just the use of the word helper means that Eve was automatically subordinate to Adam. And, and the word itself does not imply that. And nor does, does the word imply that the one being helped is inferior. 
as if, you know, Adam was inferior until Eve came along, and now, you know, she's the one who can provide for everything that he lacks, and, and, and Adam is the inferior one. No, that's not, that's not it. Instead, this word helper refers to an indispensable partner. An indispensable partner. And the point here is that Adam cannot carry out his mandate that was given to him by God without Eve. He can't do it by himself. And he couldn't do it with another man. He, he needed Eve. He needed a woman. Man cannot fulfill his purpose without woman. So humanity cannot flourish according to our created purposes without both men and women. That's, that's the overarching point here. God did not create another man for Adam to just have a buddy so he wouldn't be lonely anymore. He creates a woman as his wife. And even though it's, it's about more than marriage and procreation, it's not about less than that. In order for humanity to be complete, God, for God's creation to be very good, a woman needed to be created alongside the man. So men and women, here's, here's the takeaway. Men and women are both necessary for humanity to flourish. In order for us to live as God has created us to live, we need both men and women fulfilling their roles and their purposes. Now, here's an implication related to marriage. Because it, we, we have to talk about marriage because Moses talks about marriage. Look at verse 24. In light of how God created Eve, Moses comments here in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage reflects God's design for humanity. Marriage reflects God's design for humanity. The institution of marriage is rooted in God's creation of man and woman. Now, what does this mean? A couple things. First, marriage is an exclusive relationship between one man and one woman. So marriage is not for two folks of the same gender, nor, nor is marriage for multiple folks of any gender. Now, I'm sure that there are plenty of people who, when they're asked this question about marriage and who should be married, because it's a question now, right? Our, the, the view that we take is contradictory to the laws of our land. And I'm sure there are people who say, well, yeah, I'm against same-sex marriage because it just seems gross to me, or it just seems weird to me, or that's, that's not the traditional conservative view. We have a much deeper reason to believe that marriage is limited to one man and one woman. We believe that God ordained marriage to reflect his good creative purposes for humanity. Marriage is this intimate one flesh relationship between a man and, and uh, who needs the only kind of helper that would be fit for him, a woman. It's related to the way that God created Adam and Eve. A man and a woman are perfectly fit for one another in Marriage and it's God's design and his intention. But second, something else to consider about marriage and how it relates to the creation of Eve. Marriage is a relationship that is marked by reciprocal love between two equal image bearers who function in distinct roles. Okay, so uh, Adam and Eve were created for the very purpose of solving the problem of loneliness, right? Eve, Eve was created to solve this problem so that Adam and Eve, both humanity, could fulfill this purpose of reflecting the relational nature of God. And so that's what, what happens in marriage. In a marriage, a husband and a wife mutually love one another. 
and serve one another. And they are equal in dignity and worth and value, even though it, it plays out in specific, distinct roles. Now, this isn't a sermon on Ephesians 5, so I'm not going to talk very much about roles in marriage. I will say that a marriage, just like humanity at large, is insufficient and lacking without both the man and the woman each fulfilling their God-designed function. Just as Adam was incapable of fulfilling his mandate without the woman's help, so too a husband cannot fulfill his role without his wife's help. And it works the same way in the church. It works the same way in the church. The church can only flourish when both men and women are serving the Lord. When men and women are active in complementing one another. We are missing out if only women serve in children's ministry, for instance. It's like, well, that's, that's the stuff for the women. This is the stuff for the men. No. We, we, we are missing out if only men pray on Sunday morning. And this is not a sermon on the different roles that are outlined for the church and, and how they relate to men and women. There are roles in the church specifically limited to men. But the church cannot thrive without the presence and participation of both men and women. We are lacking if our church doesn't give space for both men and women to use their gifts to build us up. Because humanity, the church, and marriage, and other institutions, they are best when men and women are serving their purposes within them. All right, last question. Why don't our relationships completely fulfill us now? All right, we're talking about relationships here. We've, we've seen so far a lot of parallels from this situation in the Garden of Eden into our own lives. A lot we can relate to, right? We can relate to marriage. We can understand the problem of loneliness. We can understand that, that we're made for community, that we're at our best when we're in relationship with other people, that we're, we're at our worst when we're alone. We can understand why both men and women are necessary as complementary parts of a whole. We even understand the fitness of men and women in various contexts like marriage and the church. But what we don't experience that the original humans did is the fulfillment of God's design for human relationships. Look, look with me at this poem in verse 23. So in verse 22... It says that the Lord finished creating the woman and he brought the woman to the man. And then look at verse 23. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. We feel the pain of loneliness in full but we don't experience this kind of joy in relationships in full all the time. And if you're in any kind of relationship, you know that. Every day isn't at last. Is that, is that how you're greeted when you get home? You, you, you see your spouse, you see, at last, you know? Um, unless it's to sco be scolded over something you shouldn't have said that morning, maybe, I don't know. At last I get to lay into you. Um, we don't, we don't have that feeling of joy just, just, you know, permeating from us all the time. At last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, it is you, whether it's in marriage or friendships or any kind of relationship. Why? 
What's the key? What is it that Adam and Eve had that we don't have? Now, don't laugh, but I think there's a clue for us in verse 25. I think there's a clue here. Verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There's a clue here. To be naked before another person requires the deepest levels of intimacy. In no other way are we more exposed. And this couple, as they are naked before one another, felt no shame. Now this is a little foreshadowing to Genesis 3, and we, I won't, I'll try my best not to get too deep into it. But they did not feel the need to hide their bodies from one another. Hide anything. They, they, were, they were bare before one another, felt no shame, no concern, no worries, no anxieties. Now, one author, I love this, he's described this, this experience spiritually. And he says, being naked and unashamed is like being fully known and fully loved. Fully known naked, and yet fully loved unashamed. Our relationships are often marked by hiding who we are or pretending we're someone we're not. You know what I mean? Have you ever done this? You hide who you truly are? You pretend you're someone you're not? Why do we do that? So the other person will love us. So the other person will accept us and not reject us. Because of sin, we live by the lie that we can either be fully known or fully loved, but not both. We can either be clothed and unashamed or naked and ashamed. And again, I'm not getting too much into Genesis 3, but sin drives a wedge between vulnerability and love. The reason that we reach for cover is because we know deep down inside there is something wrong with us and we don't want anyone else to see. Adam and Eve did not experience this until their first sin. So their relationship thrived. And ours won't as long as we are naked and ashamed or clothed and unashamed. And this is why we need Jesus. This is why we need Jesus. We know that we are messed up. And the fact that we do such a great job of hiding that from others shows just how aware we are of our flaws. And when we feel spiritually naked and ashamed, our inclination to run for cover is exactly right. But we often try to provide our own garments of skin. We often try to provide through good works or overcompensation in relationships, cover for our sin. And we do need spiritual cover. And praise God that that's exactly what Jesus provides. On the cross, Jesus fully bore your shame. Jesus makes it possible for us to be fully known and fully loved. And Jesus, who fully knows us, does fully love us by bearing all of our sin in our place. When we are covered by the blood of Jesus, we no longer have to be ashamed. We are set free. 
We are set free to allow others to get near to us and to truly know us. We can know others for who they are and we can love them because that's what Jesus does with us. We can be known by others and not fear losing their love because Jesus, who knows just how bad we are, even more than we do, his love for us is never going to go away. We were created for community, to live in relationship with other humans. We can have this Edenic experience that Adam and Eve had once again if we would run to Jesus for cover and receive his love and dare to be known, not just by him, but by one another. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to move to the Lord's table and celebrate this cover that he provides through his blood.